as he goes into the final 200 meters. Still looking strong, no panic, no sign of stress, not driving hard. He's got to hit the clock, hit the line in 1237.35. Is he going to do it? Because he's tiring now. Down the home straight, surely it's going to be close. Watch the clock, 10 seconds to go. He's got about 50 meters to run and he's still driving for the line. At last he grimaces and looks mortal. But there, 1235.37, the world record has been broken by almost exactly two seconds. And he's still smiling. He's still in good shape. This fella, well, probably deserves the name Superman beside his own Joshua Cheptegar of Uganda. Thank you, Tim Hutchings, for the call. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Joshua Cheptegar of Uganda. There no longer is any doubt is the new king of the distance running world, the world 10,000 meter champion, the world cross country champion. He is now the new world record holder at 5,000 meters, an amazing 1235-36 at an incredible Monaco Diamond League meet that more than lived up to the hype. It had fans. It had a world record of 5,000, a European record at 1,500, the Lyles brothers going 1-2. It was incredible. Back in the States... We had some action as well. High school sophomores run 401. The NCAA cross-country championships have been canceled. The Peachtree Road Race has been canceled. But hey, a visitor has pointed out there is one major marathon still going on in the United States, possibly. We're going to talk about all of that. This is the Let's Run.com Track Talk Podcast. I'm LRC co-founder Weldon Johnson, joined as always by staff writer Jonathan Galt and the one and only Rojo. Guys, we got to start with Monaco. Jonathan, Robert, just give me your thoughts. Well, I'm still riding the Chepta guy high. It's five days later, and I still can't really believe 12:35 is a is the world record. That's one of those records that I kind of just assumed was gonna wasn't gonna be broken for a long time, and I suppose it wasn't. It lasted 16 years, but I don't know. That's, that's been the world record as long as I've been following the sport of track and field, and it just seemed like one of those untouchable marks until. Someone comes along and then you kind of realize, you know, when Bekele broke it, it's not like he was the legend, all-time great Kenanisa Bekele yet. He was, you know, it was 2004. He, he hadn't even won an Olympic title yet. So now this is sort of the coming out. Not that, you know, Joshua Cheptegei hadn't already won some stuff, but now you kind of realize, hey, he could be a Geb type. He could be a Bekele. He could be a guy we're talking about 20, 30 years from now. So that's sort of my biggest takeaway five years, five days later, putting it into a historical context. You're just figuring that out now, John? I feel like I've been predicting this for weeks on end. Loyal podcast listeners know that I realized, I mean, obviously this guy was going to be the next Bikile with the World Cross Country titles, the World 10,000 titles. It's so obvious that he was going to break the world record. Oh, wait, that's not what I said. I did say, though, feeling revisionist history, that he had world record talent. But now that he's done it, it's like, wait, why didn't we realize this guy was going to be the next truly great one. And the reason why we didn't do it is it's, it's, it's been so long, John. When we've been, this is the first time in my life that I've ever seen a men's 5,000 or 10,000 meter world record set. I mean, it's been 15, 16 years. Back then, the meets weren't on live in the US, etc. So it was a thrill of my journalistic lifetime to see this race live, at least on television, although the TV coverage left a little bit to be desired. But that's another story. But like Jonathan, I'm still on this world record high. I mean, it's been so amazing. And those of you that are Let's Run.com, members of the Supporters Club, 
You already heard us break this down. I mean, we talked about this immediately. One hour, right when the race finished, we had our first video analysis of this race. It was a big success. So sign up now if you're not already a supporter. But we're going to break it down now that we had some more time to think about it in great detail for everybody. Plenty to say about it. Yeah, well, Robert, you mentioned, you know, you kind of joked that you predicted it when you didn't. But we actually had a message board poster. This guy started a thread his under the handle NN Power on July 11th. So this was right after Bauman set their 5K records with Mohamed running 1247. His thread was... If Mohamed ran 12.47, I'm convinced Cheptegei can run 12.35 in Monaco. And then, all right, sorry, you know, he or she, whoever started this thread, then sort of couched that a little bit by saying, unless bad weather with the help of one to two pacemakers and wave lights, Joshua can't fail in beating the world record. That was spot on. But then they said, I'd say he runs 12.34 with a ridiculous 57x last lap if everything goes well. So... A little off on the details, but I'm going to give this poster a ton of credit because they totally nailed it. They, you know, the weather wasn't amazing, but had pacemakers, had wave lights, uh, and 12:35. That's exactly what the thread title said, and that was a month out. So I'm pretty impressed. Yeah, now that Chepaga has the record, and he took down Bakayoko's record, and he's run 12:35. I mean, when you look at the splits, it's absolutely amazing. As we said on the post race reaction show, his slowest split was like 61.7. That's crazy. You're pretty much running 60 point the whole way. I mean, you only, he's only seven, what, 5.3 seconds over running 60 point the entire way for 5,000 meters. That is so nuts. I think until you get one of these iconic records, like we don't realize how good this guy was. This is his fourth world record. Now, granted, three are on the roads and there's new shoe technology and that sort of stuff, but he won the world cross country title as well. Prior to winning World Cross Country, he almost won one two years ago in Uganda when he totally cratered. But he like he was taking on Camerwar then, and he had b- broken Camerwar mid-race. So I just think this was sort of the crowning achievement. I mean, his whole team was targeting this record, and they thought they could get it. And like the rest of us were like, nah, he's not that good. But he clearly is. Another thing, speaking of the Sporters Club, there's now a Zoom video with Cheptegei out, and... You guys are talking to him about, he's like, I want to be the greatest distance runner of all time. Uganda has never had the greatest distance runner of all time. They're aiming big, and I think this might just be the start of things to become. Well, I think he has to be the favorite next year in Tokyo for the 5K and 10K. And we've never seen him run, you know, he did run both events in Rio, but he wasn't, you know, at this level yet. And then last year in Doha, he only ran the 10K. But... Right now, you know, Muktai Edris is really good. There's a lot of talent in the 5K, but I think Cheptegei has to be the favorite in both of these events. Yeah, if you want to hear from Cheptegei yourself, sign up for the Supporters Club right now, letsrun.com slash subscribe, and you'll get early access to, to the features, big shoe discounts, special forum features, ad-free message board experience, really cool stuff, letsrun.com slash subscribe. If you're not a supporter, we are going to be editing that out and releasing it as a podcast next week. Don't worry. You'll still get to hear it, but you'll have to wait. It was fascinating talking to him, John, yesterday, didn't you think? I mean, I I asked him at one point, I'm like, well, how much were you paying attention to that wave light? The wave light's pretty low. His agent was like, it's hard for him to see. It's mainly for the spectators and television people. And I'm like, well, then was someone yelling the splits because it's hard to do the math in your head when you're tired? And they're like, look, it's not very hard for him because he's running 60 flat. 
And he acted like, yeah, as long as I saw 735, all I knew, you know, I just needed to run five sixties in a row. And I, you know, he acted like that wasn't very hard, John, right? And he said he's very good at pacing himself. He's like, yeah, if they tell me to run 235 in practice, I can do it without a watch. So really cool stuff. Well, that's amazing because the guy does not, there's only one 400 meter tartan track in the entire country of Uganda. And essentially like they went there a few weeks before he went for this world record attempt to try to sort of just gauge his fitness. It was basically like a one week training camp. So he could do a few track workouts and then do this 3k time trial. But mostly he just trains on sort of this, it's sort of a worn dirt loop in the back of a, a big grass field behind a school and it's uneven and it's about 415 meters. Some people said it was 405. It's not an exact number, but despite all that, his pace, his sense of pacing is just phenomenal. And we saw it last year in the diamond league final. He just, he did the same thing basically that he did in Monaco. He took off with six laps to go and just started ripping off low 60 second splits and no one could catch him. It's, it's pretty crazy. His innate sense of pace. I hope all you parents out there heard that. There is one tartan track in all of Uganda. This guy trains on like a 405, uh, some unknown distance grass track, and he broke the world record. I said that when I moved to Flagstaff to train. A proper paved, for lack of a better word, track is like the last thing anyone needs in distance running, and this proves it. Well, Weldon, remember in 2017 when we went to watch Elliot Kipchoge work out in Kenya, they weren't training on a you know all-weather track. That was just a worn dirt track. There was barely you know a lane lane one. It was it was just you know that. But they 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 just knew they could run laps around it, and it got them in shape. You don't need to have the mile markers there or anything like that. One thing that was interesting to me about this record is, you know, um, and his agent, Yuri van der Velden, who, big podcast listener, by the way, and I'd better watch what I say from now on because we have an official Rojo fact checker, and I've been known to sort of do some hyperbole and exaggerate. I thought Rojo fact checker was my job. Well, we've got somebody in addition to you John I really I was thinking about this last week I hate Skip Bayless I hope I'm not viewed as the Skip Bayless of the running world I actually believe what I say I think sometimes Skip just says stuff for it to be controversial but before we were doing the Zoom call yesterday I was talking to Yuri about the weather and I said you know I ran my own 5k a week before at almost the exact same temperature and you know, I ran a 20 minute 5k and I started I realized I didn't start to slow down though until about 14 minutes and I did realize that Joshua would be done by then he goes wait come on Robert 20 minutes. I thought it was 21 minutes. Don't, don't be lying. To, don't be lying to us. There's a big difference between 21 and 20. So, I mean, he knows my 5K time. So, yeah, he is a big podcast listener because we did the live video show right after Monaco. And to my chagrin, somehow John announces on the show that he's received a text from jury essentially saying, Hey, what does Rojo think of this record? <laughs> I mean, this is like within 30 minutes after the race that he's bothering to say like, hey, Rojo doubted that he'd break the record. But in fairness, Rojo, we can play the audio if you want. You you said he had world record talent. You just didn't think it would go down. And I was re-listening to last week's podcast as well. I'm kind of shocked we all just weren't out there like, there is no effing way he's going to get this record. But I think the Mo Ahmed run just sort of... We, we we knew this guy could do better, and we're like, can he really? We thought there's just some some slim slim chance, but come on. 
No, I, I didn't expect it, but my logic was, look, in 2018, we had about three guys run 1245, you know, 1246 or faster. Back in 2012, you had six guys, I think, under 1250. If you get these perfect races where everyone is really committed going hard from the gun, the best guys in the world at any given time are going to be in 1240-something shape, right? Borrega in 1243 in Brussels. And... Mo Farah, I'm sure, had he really gone for a 5K during his prime, he could have run low 1240s as well. And so guy, who was, as we saw last year, winning the Diamond League and winning the world title in 10,000, he was the best 5K, 10K guy in the world. And him saying, I'm going to put all my energies in going for an attempt, it's not a surprise. I, I wouldn't have been surprised if he ran in the low 1240s, but obviously he's even a little bit better talent than we even thought, and that takes you to 1235. Interesting take here is, should we praise COVID for giving us something positive? Because they said to us yesterday that, hey, you know, this was a bright side of COVID. We would have been training for the Olympics. We would not have been going for the world record. So that's a kind of an interesting way to think about it. But I kind of disagree with this whole knowledge of, you know, John, one of the questions John asked was like, do you train differently? And, and they said, yes, we did, we did more. You know, it sounds like they did a little bit more pace work, to try to get this world record. But th- th- as a former coach, this doesn't make any sense to me. It's like, oh, I have to train for the world record. I have to train for a championship. No, 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 no. This doesn't make sense. You get yourself in world record shape and you're going to win a race. The person who's in the best shape is going to win the race. So Joshua, don't change anything up for next year. Just train to break the world record on the day of the Tokyo Olympics and you will win double gold. So <laughs> this idea that you train, I mean, maybe you do a slightly different workout. You're a little bit more worried about the pace, but I guess in a championship, you might be more worried about slamming home the last lap. I mean, you, you certainly, he doesn't want to be the, the Yomov Kajelcha of the, of the Olympics next year and where he rabbits the race for everybody else out. But I still don't, you get what I'm saying, John? I just don't think you need to be offering him advice, Robert. Him and his coach have already figured out something clearly that works pretty well the last two years. I just say keep following what Addy Reuter is telling you. I think it'll be fine. Or, or, but it may have been a, a bonus of COVID in the sense of you don't have enough energy because if you double, you probably don't want to wear yourself out before the Olympics. So maybe he wouldn't have gotten it because of the Olympics. Like you don't want to run the 5,000 now because then you're going to need a couple weeks to recover from it. The world record maybe. Although, and, and then do the double at the Olympics because you'd be exhausted after that. And then maybe you don't have enough. Speaking of last week's podcast, John last week was, was giving Shelby Houlihan a free pass for not going to Monaco to, to, to run in these races because she had run one 5,000 act like you couldn't, you couldn't do more than one 5,000 in a season. What I want to point out is, you know, when Kenese Bekele set the 5,000-meter world record, eight days later, he set the 10,000-meter world record. So the natural question now is, is Joshua going to go for the 10,000-meter world record? He's in the form of his life. Why not hit it while he's hot? And the good news is there's a thread on the message board saying that there's a rumor that he's going to be doing it in September. We asked them about this. They did not confirm it, but they didn't exactly deny it. And I think the look on his agent's face, it was clear to me, John, they're definitely in negotiations for a 10,000-meter attempt, don't you think? Yeah, that's what Joshua basically said. He'd like to run a 10,000, and you know he doesn't know when or where officially, but it seems like it will happen. Guys, we did not set this up, but I was going to play one audio clip from the Supporters Club Zoom, and it's related perfectly to this because it relates to the 10,000-meter world record and also how, without COVID... I'm convinced there would have been no world record because they started planning this for March. You'll hear the clip 
And also, one other thing we can talk about. Remember, guys, the 5K? That was scrapped from the Diamond League. So they weren't going to be running any 5Ks this year. So that's something to forget about. Bring back the 5K. We need the 5K. But here it is, a clip from the LRC VIP Zoom. And of course, when the, when the virus hit hard and of course, uh, when the, the Olympics was canceled, the right moment, of course, to break the water record was, of course, not any other year, but this year. Because next year, you're going to have the Olympic Games. 2022, you're going to have uh, the World Championship. Uh, 2023, the World Championship. And, of course, Paris Olympics. So there was no any other year than, than this year. And what's your, what's your next race on your schedule? Uh, for now, of course, uh, if all goes well, of course, uh, with the... Uh, yeah, I might, I might do something special. You know, I have a surprise, uh, you know, like... I might run at, at 10,000 meters uh, in a suit. Maybe uh, uh, we are almost getting close to it. Maybe you will have a lot of uh, more update on it, but uh, I'm sure, pretty sure that maybe in two weeks uh, you'll really see something cooking up. You know, like there's something on plan, but I don't want to mention about it. Uh, you will say about it, you know. Yuri? I think it's fair to say that the, the first confirmed race is uh, World Half. Okay. Yeah. But then it sounds like the pretty fast 10,000 could, could be confirmed pretty soon. I guess that's TBD. Yeah, so stay tuned, people. Because uh, I think the 10,000 record, if it's not going down, it's going to be in danger the next few weeks. So It's kind of like the Donovan Brazier now expectations, John. Is a world record enough? If you join the supporters club, you can actually follow individual posters. It's, so you can follow all of the posts from Ronaldo Canova. You can be notified when he's posted. And this week he has posted on the forum and he has said, yes, Cheptegei can break 26 minutes for 10,000 meters. And he's got a detailed analysis of his former runners and their difference between their 5,000 and 10,000 PRs. So that is amazing to think. Sub 26 Think about that. That's a minute faster than the Solinsky run that we're still going gaga over from 10 years ago. So scary to think about how fast that could be. But and also, guys, if you sign up, let'srun.com slash subscribe. I'm still going to give out the free T-shirts. Email me, VIP at Let's Run, with your T-shirt size and address. If you sign up, I will send it out to you. Well, then I, we do have an update. I'm not very good at ordering T-shirts. We have received two sample shirts. I'm not a fan of mine, the quality. I, I want to get you guys a nice quality shirt. What so. do you mean? Mine was great, and I ordered the lower quality one first to test, so I'm excited when the higher quality one comes in, because I actually liked it. I wore it on a run. I was trying to see if somebody was giving me a look, you know, like, hey, what's that shirt? Because it's a goat marathon shirt, hint, hint. But it's sort of, you got to be in the know to know what it is. It's pretty cool. I thought it was a little thick, but anyways. All right, should we talk about something else in Monaco besides Joshua? But I bow down to you. I will never doubt you again. I'm now predicting the sub-26. Yeah, I, I mean, on sub-26, I just want to say, a world record is enough. If he runs 26-16, I'm going to be super impressed. Uh, that's an A-plus performance. I don't have any... Like, look, sub-26 would be amazing. I think it's not impossible, but it's 17 seconds off the world record. That's a ton, Robert. You know, I... Plus, as good as this guy's Joshua, or Yuri, if you guys are listening, Paul Buka, go like 26-16, and then next year, 26-15. Just keep going down a little bit at a time so you can keep getting those world record bonuses, paydays, and then we can have more 10,000s in these meets. And IAAF, World Athletics people, please, 
Remember, this is uh, well, a great point. Bring back the 5,000. We don't want to watch a damn 3,000 next year. Yeah, the 3,000 would have been terrible. Everyone was excited about this race. It's an iconic distance. It was great. And Robert, do you not listen? Joshua pointed out himself, and he's a real student of everything. This was the year to break the world record once COVID happened because there was nothing else going on this year. Now, next year, you're going to have an Olympics, hopefully. Please, please, please. The year after that, which would have been the off year to go for records, Oops, now there's a World Championships. Then there's a World Championships the year after that. And then there's another Olympics. So this is the year to get the world records. And as we saw with the KOA, when the iron's hot, you got to strike. So I think this is the chance. Yeah, I'm well, that actually reminds me of something. I wrote a story for the website this week about the 1995 Zurich meet. And that was where we saw the first ever sub eight steeplechase and then can, uh, Haile Gebrselassie ran 12.44. He broke the te- 5K world record by over 10 seconds. And in that meet, it was only a few days after the world championships had ended. And both of those, the guys in that race who set those records said, essentially, they sort of had to hold back at Worlds. Like, uh, Gebrselassie was supposed to run the 5K. He had won the 10K. He was entered the 5K. He scratched the 5K in order to chase the world record in Zurich and Moses Kiptanui, same similar thing in the steeple. He won the steeple in one of the fastest times ever, but he said he backed off in the final lap because he wanted to break the world record in Zurich. So I found it very interesting that they, they basically were like, look, if they had gone to the well in Zurich, they probably wouldn't have been able to bounce back a few days later and break. Sorry. If they went to the well in the world championships, they wouldn't have been able to come back a few days later and break those world records in Zurich. Podcast listeners. If you haven't read the article, John went back to look at one of the greatest nights in distance running history 25 years ago, the Zurich World Classic Meet. John, amazing article. It was so cool to hear. I mean, Susie Favor Hamilton famously said when she dropped out of the World Championships one year, I was saving myself for Zurich. I mean, this meet was almost, for some, it really wasn't bigger than Worlds, but it was just as important. And it was fascinating because people were like, oh, Gab never did the double like like Mo Farah, et cetera. And I'm like, yeah, because they were running heats in the 10K. And this is actually proof positive that it was fascinating. Josh Hermans was thinking, how can Gab be the greatest of all time? And he thought world records are going to be key. I'll, I'll, I'll not have him run the five. We'll get the world record. So, you know, chapter guys have the same agency in terms of representation. And he's already thinking, how can I be the greatest of all time? And, you know, I even, at the end of our, our <laughs> Zoom call, I was like, hey, no, you've got the XC in the track and you, you know, you move up to the marathon, but what about moving up to the ultras too? Nobody's ever done the ultras. I mean, it's kind of funny. You got to add another, uh, as the generations go on and on, you've got to add to it. But check out that article by John because it was, it was fantastic. One of the best articles ever in Let's Run, John. I really enjoyed it. Seriously, one of your best. Well, final thing on Chapter Guy. Like in 2014 is really when he started running, I think, or competing abroad. I think that was the year. And he's talking about doing a half marathon. He still hasn't done a half marathon. He's finally going to do it this year. And that was one thing that came up in the Zoom. And then we were also like, hey, why aren't there more great Ugandan distance runners? We had Stephen Kipper touch the Olympic marathoner. And Chapter Guy made a very good point. There was a lot of political unrest in Uganda. Um you know, through the eighties and stuff. So they were way behind. It was, it was just the stability needed to train and sort of stuff wasn't there. I mean, I guess you could say Ethiopia had problems as well, but for whatever reason, he thought that really affected things. Yeah. And I think they, both him and Yuri, who works with some of their other Ugandan athletes, including Halima Nakai, the hundred meter world champion, they kind of expect a boom in 
Ugandan running for the next few years. And we've seen it with those two and with Jacob Kiplimo. And one other thing, you mentioned the half marathon well then. Now, I'm just going to say, we, we've sort of been bemoaning all, almost all the full marathons have been canceled. Uh, the NCAA Cross Country Championships were canceled last week. But if we have the London Marathon, Bekele versus Kipchoge on October 4th, and a, a bunch of other studs, I'm sure, will be in that race as well. And then the Battle of the World Record Holders, Cheptegei against Joffrey Camoror at the World Half Marathon Championships on October 17th. I think those two races alone will salvage our fall. I can, those are two of the best races in the roads in years if they happen. So I think we could still have a great season. It's just going to be condensed to two weeks. October 17th? Damn it. That's the weekend my wife wanted to go away. I was like, well, there's no running events. No worries. I checked the London Marathon date. Oh, sweetie, love you. We'll do a different weekend. World Athletics, again, are you listening? You were going to fly me out to, to speak at some symposium for the World Half. I'm happy to go again and see this. John, this would, would be amazing because also there would be no other distractions. We're not going to be distracted by some other marathon getting in the way of World Half. You know, and this, this is perfect. He gets home. He relaxes for a week. He gets into the hard training. He runs a world record in the 10,000 and maybe, you know, early September. He gets another month to move up to the marathon, smashes the world record and, and smashes Cam War. At world half, and he can take a little bit of time off. I, I look, look. I know you're saying smashes Camoror. Let's just give Camoror a little bit of respect here. He has won the last three world halves. He's run fifty eight oh one. Like Jeffrey Camoror is an absolutely incredible runner. I don't think we should just take it for granted that Joshua Cheptegei, in his first ever half marathon, is just going to come up and beat one of the greatest half marathoners the world has ever seen. Then he's got to get ready for World XC. The, the Australians don't wimp out and cancel it. But what else, guys? Rest of Monaco. What else impressed you, John? We had Brazier and Hoppel going 1-2 in the 800. Faith Kip Yegon, a near world record in the women's 1,000. Timothy Chariot just misses his PR, but was so amazing. Wins the 1,500 after going out in 52 for the first lap. Let's the field. The field that was it, Robert. The field I'm going to stop you right him. there. Yeah, the field catches him. Jakob Ingebrigtsen gets second, 328 European record. But to me, the person I was most impressed with was Timothy Chariot because he ran a 328 and he kind of ran it like, I'm not blaming him because he just, the pacemaker screwed up, but he kind of ran it like a high school freshman would run it. And yet he still runs one of the fastest times ever, almost breaks his PR. I mean, I, I saw that race. I'm like, this guy, 2021, I texted, I was supposed to go to Monaco this year and I was going to, I was texting one of the guys who um, I see at Coogan's every year after Milrose. I was like, hey, you should go. You know, we, we had these plans to go. And I texted him like, next year, we got to go to Monaco. We got to see Cherry up break the world record. Because I think, I think that's in the ballpark now, guys. But John, you don't blame him for the pacing. I mean, I know the rabbits went out fast, but he he sh- he needs to become like Chubb guy and get a better sense of the pace. Like, go, you should know what a fifty-two feels like compared to what whatever world record pace is. What just under fifty-five? Is that right? I think so. But so I guess you're just saying he should have let off the pace and gone, you know, stuck stuck in front of the rest of the pack. Wait, what? Because Yaka basically front ran. He kind of front ran a three twenty-eight. I know he had Chariot to chase, but he was gap for most of that race. Yeah, Jakob has an amazing pacing sense. So we, we talked about this on the video show, but like that race, he goes out that hard. And I'm like, oh, what an idiot. He's done it just like this is like the impossible games where they went out too hard. And then the, the field catches him. But, 
you know, as I said, I said I wasn't glad in Monaco because there's no cheering in the press box. I was rooting for Chariot because I'm like, this is so amazing if he has the strength to go to run like an idiot on the first lap and still hold off Jacob Ingebrigtsen. And Ingebrigtsen was running a European record, 328.68. Amazing run. But So you're wondering which of those two is going to win. And then all of a sudden, with like 180 meters on the final turn, don't forget about Jake Waitman. He starts to pass Ingebrigtsen. I'm just like, oh my God, what if he beat Philip Ingebrigtsen? He beat, he passed Philip. He pulled up on Jakob's, you know, shoulder and ends up with a 329.47, which is the number two British time of all time. Faster than Steve Cram, Steve Ovet, and Sebastian Coe. That's pretty damn good. Weldon, you don't seem as excited about this 1500 as us. No, I'm excited. This race was incredible. Uh, just a couple things. They got this wavelength thing, and after hearing y'all's Zoom call with Joshua, I guess when you're on the track, it's a little harder to see, but like the rabbits were so far ahead of the Zoom. I mean, the wave, it was sort of nuts. It was kind of crazy, but it's very good for fans. You're like, they're going way too fast. Like, follow the light and at least glance at it or something. It was kind of crazy. But I thought if Chariot was going to get beat at all, like that was this was the time, like... Jakob's running his best race of his life, 328. Timothy hasn't raced in a long time. He goes out too hard, and no, he still holds him off and runs the world-leading 328-48-45. It's just pretty crazy. Great race. And wait, point of order. The World Cross Country Championships, Robert, we got some bad news. Did you guys not see this? They, the organizers are pushing to get them delayed. They have not officially changed the date yet, but they're trying to get them postponed. And they didn't say, I don't know if this means postponed by some weeks, postponed by a year. I, I, I don't know. It hasn't been canceled or anything, though. The problem is, not the well, we have our COVID segment of the week. Australia is an island. They've tried to prevent the COVID. You might just want to. I have the perfect solution. Oh, my God. We move it to Terre Haute. We move it to the middle of – actually, we move it to Oklahoma State. They have a multimillion-dollar cross-country facility. America has already been hit by COVID. To me, it's very obvious. You COVID- want to bring the meat to the one country in the world that has the most cases and deaths out of every other country? You think World Athletics and the rest of the world is going to be okay See, with that, Robert? This is where – guys, we'll only do COVID real quick, but John's an idiot in COVID. This is very obvious to me what happens in COVID. John, do you remember who was the – what was the worst state – what was the worst place in the world to be in March or April? What city was the worst place to be? New York. And what's the best place to be now? Connecticut, New York, Weldon. Why? Because COVID ran through there. Now there's basically herd immunity. So we will have herd immunity. We won't care if outsiders come. Hell, we may have to host the damn Olympics in 2021. Robert, you don't have any idea what the world is going to look like in 2021. You have no idea. And if Trump's still in office, it's probably going to look a lot worse. Well, if Trump's still in office, John's going to have a heart attack. I, we will we will give you, what do you call it, like post-traumatic break stress. or something? Yes. Yeah. Don't worry, folks. We're worried about John. It's crazy how people say this because Robert said, let's have a world cross country in Oklahoma State. And I'm like, this is genius. This is the best idea. They have the facility. Maybe the money doesn't cost that much money. I don't know. Maybe we get some rich guy to give some money for this thing. T. Boone Pickens. Oh, wait. I think he's he might be. Maybe he left some money in his will. Anyway, I think it would be great, and my thinking also with COVID sort of is like Robert's is, is like once an area is hit, it looks terrible when it's going on, and then three months later it looks better, and there could be a whole weather component, because the other thing going on in the Northeast right now, Robert, is this is our best weather of the year, and like air conditioning isn't as big, so 
let's check back in in like December and see what's going on up here. But yeah, people are, we're taking way less precautions than we did three months ago. And like COVID is essentially, yes, there's some cases in Connecticut, but it's almost non-existent. So hopefully the rest of the U.S. gets there. But yeah, at any one point, like right now, you would definitely not want to have a meet in Oklahoma. All right, let's talk a little about the, about the ladies in Monaco. To me, the biggest winner was that was obvious. Faith Kipiega. She was amazing. She almost breaks the world record from some doped up Soviet Union person that has it. Runs two. Was it two twenty nine point one five? It's like a one fifty four equivalent in the eight hundred. Destroys Laura Muir. Everybody else. Really good run. Meanwhile, Safan Hassan is dropping out of the 5,000. I don't think Hassan's going to run. Well, it'll be interesting to see. What do we think Hassan's going to run next year? But to me, this stamps Faith. She's a year, another year post-pregnancy. She's the woman to beat in the 1,500 for 2021. I don't, I don't know. She got her doors blown off at the World Championships last year. And I, I know this is just – we're going off one – we see one race this year from Hassan – and Kip Yegon, you're ready to just hand that crown back to Kip Yegon? I don't know about that. I think, at their best, Robert, if you took each woman at their best, who wins? I think it's Hassan. I don't know. Hassan was not that great when she didn't have Alberto Salazar coaching her. She doesn't have him coaching her now. We will see. That's I mean, it's fair. If you look at 2015, Kip Yegon beat Hassan at Worlds that year. She beat her at the Olympics. She beat her at Worlds in 2017. So, Kip Yegon does have the historical advantage, uh, and you know, if you look at Hassan's 2019 as an outlier, you know. Otherwise, I think you go with Kipigon. But I think it's going to be it's going to be a good battle next year if they if they even run the 1500 against each other. So what I forgot, you did the research. Which doubles on the women's side are doable? Which do we? 5K, think? 10K. I mean, 15 the 15 5K. You would have to run, I believe, the five one of the prelims for the 1500. Maybe on the or it's maybe it's you have to run the prelims of one event on the final day of the other. And yeah, so the 1500 first round is on the morning of the final of the 5000, which I actually do think Hassan would be able to do that. The 1500 first round, you don't usually, it's not usually that tough. They don't eliminate a ton of people and she would have 12 hours to recover, but that might be some a disqualifying factor. And if you're afraid of that, which, you know, they might not, they, that might just rule out the 1500 5k double. So and the 10K15 really isn't that much better if she tries to do it. So, because you have the final of the 1500 on day eight and then the 10,000 final on day nine. So, 5K, 10K is really the, the most workable double. The other two are pretty tough. And then there was the women's 5,000. Helena Berry wins in 1422. Let's in that did most of the work, 1426. And it brings up the natural question. How would the woman who I've criticized for not being in Monaco, Shelby Hulin, have done? She came in as the world leader at 14.23 under sort of contrived time trial conditions. She kind of ran that, you know, off a 14.30 pace with a big kick. And I think one of you guys had the stats on our video show. I said, well, you know, she ran it in better weather than Monaco. I think she would have gotten beat. But one of you guys pointed out her clothes Shelby Houlihan's close on the last lap was significantly faster than what O'Beary ran for the last lap in Monaco. Yeah, she closed in 61 and O'Beary closed in 63. And O'Beary ran about a second faster, but Houlihan definitely looked like there was more in the tank. So 
I think you can make a case Houlihan could have won that race, but sadly, we'll never know. It would have been great for Houlihan to be in this race because I think when you're thinking about next year, there's one thing with running fast times, and maybe in Jerry, then don't think about it this way, but there's another to know, like, Shelby's moving up to the 5K, so how does she really do in a tactical race or a championship-type race? And maybe with her, she's got a good 1,500 speed. She's like, I'll figure it out. It doesn't matter. And they've seen that she kicked two seconds faster than O'Berry, so maybe it's like, look, we know she's ready to go. It doesn't matter. But it would have been great to see her get some experience here. And that, that O'Berry race, one other thing, like, I was wondering, like, why'd they run 1,000? They probably won in the world record. She just missed it. I think it was 0.18 off. Kip, 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 Kip Yegon's. Oh, I said O'Berry. I'm sorry. Yeah, Kip Yegon. So I, I assume that's why they ran the five th- the thousand there. And Monaco, they got a lot of money. I wonder how much money she missed out on there by not getting the record. I wonder how many U.S. 1,500-meter ladies, though. We've got, like, what, nine women at 401 or better or something like that. They're probably all thinking, please run the 5,000. Please run the 5,000, Shelby. You know, <laughs> opens, up, opens up another Olympic spot for them. So, Actually, speaking of Olympic spots, I want to get to this right now because I'm scrolling down. One woman who was also in that 5,000 Monaco was Shannon Robery, and she ran really well, 1445, uh, impressive run for her and stamped herself as an Olympic contender. Someone, I don't know who it was, put in a section in our Google Doc for this podcast, US 5,000 meter team all set, question mark. Robery, Cranny, Puria. Who did this? And... Did I miss the move? Did like Carissa Schweizer die in a car accident? Why isn't no, she in there? That was me, but you're misinterpreting it. I was assuming that the team originally was just going to be, is it all set? <laughs> Obviously, Houlihan and Schweizer are making the team. They're locks, in my opinion. And then I'm like, oh, Roberry's going to be the third. And then my like, anyone else beat Roberry? And then I remembered Cranny and Perrier. So that was just who's going to be there for the third spot. I'm not, my knowledge may not be as good as yours, but I did do a little research to make sure that I knew, you know, who, who could be in it. So, that's good. No, I just wanted an explanation. I, I you know, I, I'm all about the context and the facts here, Robert. So I accept that. John, John really is. John, you're going to be a really good liberal because not only now you're now going after people for things they think and don't even say. So it's <laughs> like you know, the PC police is going to go to your brain. Like if you think of the, like if you think anything negative, bad, or whatever, John's going to get me. I mean, Shannon's running well this year in this whatever this crazy season is. And at first I'm like, 14.45, like, who cares? She's 20 seconds off sort of being competitive. Like, is that any good? And then I, I'm i just a guy, so I think more about the guy's times. 20 seconds off the guy's top time this year, you're still a 12.55 guy. So it's kind of crazy. I mean, with Shannon, that's, what, 34 seconds off the world record, so it's a bit more, but... She's making the most of the season and showing that, you know, she could be on that Olympic team. But I think her days as a medal contender, you know, they're over. Well, she was never a medal contender in the 5K. She was only a medal contender in the 1500. So I think she's about as good in the 5K, it seems. You know, she I guess she broke the American record. She ran 1438 when she used to hold the American record. So a bit faster. But yeah, no, re- really, really impressive stuff from Robbery. All right, I gave you my big winner on the men on the women's side in Faith Kipier Gun. I want to give it on the men's side. I mean, obviously Chepty Guy would be the number one winner, but after that, I've got to give a big shout out to Adidas's Bryce Hopple. My God, 
we weren't sure what we would expect. You know, 800 guy hasn't raced all season. We haven't heard much from him. Haven't heard anything on social media. I, I hadn't at least. Shows up, pushes Donovan Brazier to the line, runs a huge PR, 143.23. He's the seventh fastest performer in U.S. history. And this was great for me because as good as Brazier is, could he possibly have a great rival in America to push him to even greater heights? I mean, what a race. What a performance. Bryce, amazing run. This guy is I, – I, this is some a cliche that kind of gets thrown around in some other sports. You just say, oh, this guy's a winner. But that's really kind of what I think of when I think about Bryce Hopple. I know he had the big win streak last year, and I know he didn't even win this race. So I guess maybe a gamer is the more – it just seems like he's always in it. He's always kicking at the right time. He's always like – making this competitive move in the second half of the race. He's just exciting to watch. You know, he closes well. It never seems like he's totally running out of gas. He's always making something happen in that last 200. So really exciting to watch. Obviously a huge talent. And yeah, it would be great to see him. I mean, we've been hyping Brazier up as like, oh, he could. Dwayne Solomon says he's going to break the world record. You know, we're thinking, oh, this guy's going to win the Olympics, all this stuff. But to see if Bra- if he can actually have a rivalry with Hopple and Hopple can start beating him, that's only going to be more interesting for the sport in the U.S. and in the world. And another interesting thing about this race was, is Donovan Brazier's race, is, is he becoming the Radisha of the 800 in the sense of everybody behind him PRs? The top six in that race all ran a PR. So pretty amazing stuff. I mean, the quality of the Monica meet, just not even just the distances, were amazing. These people haven't been competing very much. People were running live on PRs. And that's going, folks, I'm going to bring right up, bring it up right now. The big negative from Monaco. Are you ready? Supporters club members, you've already heard this. But everybody else, you haven't. The big loser in Monaco were was the sport of track and field. What I mean by that, this meet was the ultimate validation of the Jerry Schumacher coaching philosophy of never race. There's no reason to race. You can train better on your own, do time trials or super hard workouts, and then just show up at one or two times out of the year and just crush it. You know, Mo Ahmed runs 1247. Basically, I mean, you think he ran a 339 PB uh, in practice and then runs 1247. Chepty guy shows up in his first real race. He did do a time trial in Uganda, runs a world record. Hopple doesn't race at all, runs a PR in the 800. Like, Back in the day, people used to race a lot and et cetera. And there's an interesting thread on the message board about this. Now, now that the worlds are there, you know, the only race that matters is the world. So people don't even bother with the regular season. All it does is wear them out. And, you know, why race? You only need, you can probably get in better shape in practice. Well, I'm at the delete this segment of the podcast. It actually is pretty depressing. So the points, maybe if you're really good, they'll make you run so many meets to actually do worlds. People sound say that's crazy, but if you want to play in a golf major, you have to participate in so many other meets. I mean, maybe that's the solution. Athletes aren't going to like it, but we need we need head to head competition. There was some great head to head competition here, but also that was the other thing with Monaco. We had people competing against each other. It wasn't just some sort of glorified time trial. I guess outside of Chip Guy's run, where he actually got the world record, but the fifteen hundred, great race, women's thousand great race that sort of thing so 
ultimately, you do need competitors. You do, do need the head-to-head. That's what sells the sport. So hopefully the athletes don't forget that and the agents. My, my silver lining here, though, is that I think a lot of people, if they've been paying attention to the sport, already knew Jerry's system works. They know that people can race fast after not racing a lot over the summer. You look last year at that 5,000 in Portland. You look at the success Jerry's athletes have had at the World Championships or the Olympics. But then you also remember like a lot of other athletes do race and a lot of other athletes like racing. Jerry's athletes, they, you know, they swear by him. They all totally drink the Kool-Aid. But they also say, hey, we really really like racing. It's tough not to be able to go out there and race over the summer. Other athletes and other groups like like racing. And I don't think every coach shares the mindset of Jerry that these things are mutually exclusive. And Alberto Salazar, for his flaws, his athletes would go out there and race. And they'd hit it hard and then they'd show up to the championships and still do pretty well. So I don't think that Jerry's, this Monaco meet is necessarily going to sway everyone to the Bowman school of thinking. But yes, it was evidence that you don't necessarily need race to run run your best fastest I think in some ways this race was a vindication of the Rojo model for the Diamond League. People said, oh, we have to get rid of the 5,000 because they need to race six, you know, we we need to have six, we need to have them do six events in the Diamond League. Six triple jumps, six 5,000s, and the 5,000 meters don't want to run six of them. You don't need six of them. We don't want to see six of them. The problem why this meet was so special is everybody was there. If we had Stockholm this week, half of the people would be in Monaco, half the people in Stockholm, and the fields would be diluted. So what we need is a few big meets where every like we need to have like three or four. I've always said you want to have the 5,000 people maybe show up early in the season race in Doha, once in the middle of the season, and then once at Worlds. So you get to see them three times with a quality, super quality field. Boom, and there's some doubt as to what's going to happen. You don't need them every week doing this. If we have Stockholm this week, we do have Stockholm this week. Stockholm is this Sunday, buddy. Stockholm is on Sunday. But then the other thing, the Diamond League, before they axed the 5K, they had already reduced the 5K to just four races per season, which I think is fine. You have athletes, all right, maybe they don't run all four. They run three of them in the world. I think that's that's good, and that's not over-racing them. So it's not like they acknowledged that was a change they needed to make already. Are we done with Monaco? I think we should move to the United States. There was a big meet in, I don't know if big meet compared to Monaco is the right word, but the... It was in Tennessee, John. What was the official name of it? The Music City Distance Carnival. And I would say this is probably the best trap meet that's taken place on U.S. soil during this outdoor season. If you look at, especially the 1500s are really good. Ollie Hall wins the men's 15 in 334. And then you had Sam Prakel running 336. Trip Hart running 336. There were some good good uh, performances there. The women's 1500. Corey McGee and Emma Coburn of Team Boss go 1-2. They both run personal bests of 403, so that was a good outing for them. And then you had Michael Saruni siding in the men's men's 800. He won that in 146. Sierra Brown won the 200 in a close race over Kayla Edwards. Sorry, the 800 close race over Kayla Edwards, two flat, 0.31 to two flat, 0.39. And then one of the performances of the meet came by high schooler Reinhardt Harrison in the men's mile. He runs 401-34. This guy is not entering his... He's entering his junior year of high school. So I think depending on what stats, you know, site you use, this can be considered a sophomore class record 
403.34. Previous record belonged to Edward Cheserek of 403.29. And that was Cheserek, remember when he set that, was actually a year older than your typical sophomore. He was 17. So some really good action. What stood out to you guys from Music City? Well, Ollie Hoare is a class above everybody else. I mean, I don't want to disrespect Sam Preco, but I kind of view him. There'll be now guys like him that are 350 milers, and I don't really pay any attention to them. And that's not fair because they're talented. But, you know, Preco wasn't – the cream rises to the top. And, you know, Preco was a guy that, like, made NCAAs his senior year and got, like, third, I think. But there's a big – there's a big – you know, it's like a bell curve. And the very best are just a cut above. You know, this is the – Hoare is the filet mignon here. Three, a two-second – he beat everybody by almost two seconds. I mean, that's a lot, John, in a 1500. That's a murder. Yeah, he just he just got out early, gapped them, and then they ne- ran, he ran away from them. They couldn't touch him. It was really impressive running. The one the one thing that's bad though, Ali Hoare, big PR three thirty four sixty three. That's under the Olympic standard, which is huge because Australia, you know, getting three they might not have four guys under the Olympic fifteen hundred standard. The problem is, it doesn't count because the window is closed until December first. So. Not saying he can't get there next year, but this could be a case of where it hurts them for Olympic qualification. Yeah, we disagreed with that canceling the Olympic window. We think I think we said the A time should count, like maybe the head-to-head stuff you don't have, so you don't encourage people to fly all over and stuff. But it should count as an Olympic qualifier. I didn't see this meet, but I was wondering, like, yeah, one by two seconds. That's just a crushing. So he, they rabbited him out, and, he, and nobody went with the rabbits, and he just crushed, or like he just started crushing after the rabbits dropped down. Yeah, yeah. No, he he basically went with the paces, and then when they were gone, he he just kept crushing it. And then you got, I mean, there were some good guys in this race. Morgan McDonald was fifth; he ran a PB of three thirty seven. Joe Klecker was sixth in his official on Athletics Club debut in three thirty seven, and then actually. Not a great race for Nick Willis. I think this was his first time repping Tracksmith. He was 17th in 345, so uh, not a fantastic showing for the Olympic bronze medalist. Yeah, the, the, the 345 for Willis, I think he was 11th in the A heat. is not good. Hoare is also on athletics, so good for him. So my takeaways from this is I want to see Hoare in Europe. I mean, how low can he go? I think 330 low, something. I mean, certainly 332 or faster. And then I thought we were hearing hype about Joe Clarker being in 13 low shape. He obviously, I, I imagine the weather wasn't probably actually someone else besides me was worried about probably the heat. So he doesn't run the 5,000 there. I want to see him 337 for him is, is pretty good. I want to see him get to Europe or somewhere where he can run a fast 5,000, um, you know, on that front. Well, the other thing I was curious about, about Klecker, Klecker, Klecker crossed the finish line and it was a little hard to tell what was going on, but he seemed like he was. I think he took off his spike or something, and he see. I don't know what he was unhappy with. If it was a shoe, or if it was an injury, or something, but he seemed like there was some sort of issue when right when he crossed the finish line. And I mean, Hoare, I assume, was wearing the same spikes that won the race, but I don't know. That seemed like some joke. Like it didn't seem too happy right when he crossed the finish line. Oh, John, don't don't trash the quality of the new shoes. I'm not. I don't know what it was. It, I'm just saying Joe Click has seemed unhappy with some. Some have wondered if John's a Nike show, and now he could be secretly being paid by Nike to trash other brand shoes on the podcast. Wait, who's wondered if I'm a Nike show? Talking about actually, people have wondered if I have because I'm always talking about the vapor flies. John, uh, since I praised you earlier for your 25 year piece on World Class Zurich, 
I think it's time for me to bring up where I, my weekly segment where I do criticize you because you get so much praise. It's, it's Oh, this is a weekly segment be, at least now? monthly. I got an email last week, and people were wondering why didn't on last week's show John bring up the fact that there was apparently a race within minutes of your house the night before we recorded last Wednesday? And the New Balance Boston girls ran in it. Then there were some fast times. Ellie Perry ran a four-flat PR. Somebody else, uh, Heather McLean, I think, ran two-flat. And there was no even acknowledgement of it on the podcast. Or And I was like, what, did John not even go to this race? Like, did he not know about it? I mean, maybe maybe we should blame the New Balance PR people for not reaching out to you. But, John. It's a time trial. It was a time trial, Robert. This wasn't like uh, – I mean – it's not like this was an official race or anything. And in this age of social distancing, I don't think many people are just saying, oh, come on down to our event. Like, I don't know. If this had been some big deal, sure, I'll go. But usually I don't go around to local groups. Practices. It's been re- reported as a result on Race Results Weekly. I, I just, I don't, podcast listener wanted to know why you didn't bring it up, even mention it last week. I, I didn't know about it. The reason why I didn't know about it is because I don't know as much as John. John is all knowing. Just, just saying that because I, I mean, th- I thought of that because I saw Sierra Brown won the Music City race in two flat point three one, so that two flat made me think about that. Okay, one more thing on this Music City thing and time trials and quality meets. One, it was a great field for domestic, you know, U.S. meet. That's not like Diamond League. They did a good job putting this together. Uh, was there prize money and stuff, or people just looking? I mean, people flew from all over the country to this thing. So kudos for. This thing going off. Dave Milner, the meat director, Leeds United fan. He deserves credit because he's been working his ass off on this all summer to make sure that there was still some U.S. domestic opportunity. I think the reason a lot of people wanted to come, Weldon, is because if you're not going to Europe and it's difficult, we know the visa process to get to Europe these days from the United States. They wanted a domestic opportunity for athletes to compete at a high level and he provided it. So I think he deserves a lot of credit for putting this meat on and making sure it goes ahead with the COVID restrictions. Yeah. I forgot how much were there fans there, John? Like there, there was some fans sort of standing outside the track, but officially they were like who kind of showed up cause they knew it was happening, but the policy was no fans and they actually spread the races out. There were a lot of, de- there was a lot of dead time between the races because they wanted people exiting and leaving the meet basically as soon as they were done. They wanted to make sure there was a few people in the stadium as possible at any given time. So they were definitely very diligent about all this criteria. Mega shout outs to the meet organizers for putting this thing on. I mean, it was a great U.S. meet. So wait, wait, wait. But my point was, after I praised the meet, was the men's 1500. You guys are always talking about your boy in Monaco, Craig Ingalls. Craig Ingalls in Monaco... Second to last place of the finishers, 335.42. Pretty bad run, you'd say, right? Oh, you put him in the Music City meet, he would have been second place. I mean, Oliver would have beaten him by almost a second, but Craig would have been a convincing second place. So that just sort of shows, like, if you're trying to be world-class, there's a whole nother level you need to be at, especially in the 1500. But... Groundbreaking Thank analysis, you, well, then. well then. The Monaco 1500 stronger than well, the Music well, City. Well, basically supporting what I'm saying. I'm saying someone like Sam Prickle, I know he's run 350, but I view him as a non-factor on the world stage or even, I mean, maybe he could get lucky and get third at the U.S. somehow next year. But no, no offense. Hopefully Sam used that as motivation. But 
you know, if I was sponsoring a shoe company, I would put all my money in the world on like the Oliver Hors of the world. I wouldn't sponsor these other, you know, people actually like Weldon Johnson. You know, when Weldon was getting fourth at USA's, he was offered what twelve to thirteen thousand dollars by Adidas, and that's why we started Let's Run because he viewed that as insulting. But I can see why. I mean, Weldon, you know. Just a certain, you know, you gotta have a really high talent level to, to move up. Let's talk a little bit about some of these teen phenoms. So, wait, that story right there doesn't square actually, because we started Let's Run in two thousand. I didn't get fourth in USA to two thousand one, but carry on. <laughs> okay, but I wanted to talk about some of these teen sensations. I mean, we didn't mention the women. The ninth grader Sophia Gorion ran two hundred two, pretty good at age fifteen. But this Reinhold Harrison four hundred one. I mean, John, the youngest. Who's the youngest American to ever break four in the mile? Is that Jim Ryan? Jim Ryan did it. Yeah, Jim Ryan's the only junior to do it. So I, I think he's also the youngest by age. Uh, Lucas Vosbikas, who, you know, was represented, I think, Lithuania, but might have become an American citizen. He did it in 2011 when he was kind of a junior, but then it turned into a senior year. That's a whole asterisk situation. So Jim Ryan, I believe, is the youngest. Yes, only guy to do it is junior. And... Reinhard Harrison, I mean, he's 16 years old. I think he turned 17 in February. And he's being coached by Tom Schwartz. So he's the same the same guy who coached Drew Hunter in high school, still coaches Drew Hunter. And a few things that really stood out to me about this race. One, Harrison closed in 57-53 for his last lap to run 401. So, you know, there's some meat on the bone there still. That's a pretty good close, uh, especially for a guy who's a, just finishing up his sophomore year. And second, I'm kind of amazed that there is high schools, like you mentioned the, the high school freshman girl and then Harrison, in the middle of August, they're just super fit and ready to run really fast. Like, what high school is ever in shape in the month, the middle of August? Is this because they know they probably don't kind of have cross-country season coming up? It's just kind of crazy to me that they're so ready to run fast. When I was in the middle of August in high school, granted, I wasn't as good at these kids, I was building my base getting ready it is late in the year traditionally but maybe because there were no races up till now people sort of put this on the calendar and just did it a lot of stuff sort of the traditional paradigms have fallen by the wayside this year well i mean since i've the one been coaching high schoolers this summer got some super talented one let's run.com slash coaching if you still want me to coach you um a lot of them are just desperate for races you know i I think a lot of them you know, particularly if Tom Schwartz is coaching, you, you know this is going to go on. You start training for this. So a lot of them are looking for virtual stuff. To, actually, by now they're getting ready for the cross-country season. So, yeah, it's interesting. It seems to run so fast in the mile. But, you know, John, you mentioned Tom Tim and Schwartz. He's kind of a controversial figure. I mean, he's very highly respected by by most people. But some people have been bashing him. He's kind of like John Kellogg was 15 years ago. When, when you make yourself out to be a genius, people love to take you down. Bashing him controversial. What are you talking about? Yeah, some people Weldon say, is it is Drew Hunter being pulled back by being coached by Tim Schwartz? There's always critics. Everyone has critics. If Jesus, I always said, if Jesus Christ came back to the earth today, there'd be 30% of the people that would hate him. I mean, Weldon, everyone's got critics. Do you read the message board? So right, anyway. but if 20% of people say something about you, does that make you controversial? It's like, by and large, most people get the let's run for I just was going to play into this fact of playing into the is it bad for Drew Hunter to be coached by Tim Schwartz because Drew Hunter did guy do you guys notice this they had a a Frank Shorter classic they wanted to break a bunch of Colorado state records at altitude last week Drew Hunter ran a 2 mile he got absolutely destroyed Hillary Bohr won an 834 
Emmanuel Bohr, 837. Drew Hunter runs 853. Not good. No, but I'm not panicking about it. Like Drew Hunter, his progression to this point, I think anyone who's criticizing Tin Man for holding him back is just politely, what are you smoking? Like, look at what Drew did in high school. And then immediately as a pro, he gets better. And, you know, maybe it took him like maybe one year to like, totally get used to competing at that top level. And then he's been one of the best pros in the U S he made the world championships team as a 21 year old in the five K, which is incredibly hard to do. He won USA's indoors last year in the two mile grind. That was kind of a wonky situation, but he still ran really well at the meet. Like, I don't know. I'm it, it's a bad race, but I'm not worried about drew. I mean, he got, he got his ass kicked in this one. I'm sure he'll rebound. He's a tough runner. He's a super talent. He's got a good coach. Yeah. He's 22. He's got a PRs of three thirty-five and thirteen twenty-one, so it kind of would be what this would be. Would this be? His, would this have been his senior year of college, or would he have another year? He was high school class of twenty sixteen, so this he would have just finished up his senior year of college this year. And if you come out of college with three thirty-five, thirteen twenty-two PB, I think you'd be in line for a pretty big contract. The, I guess I, now, if we want to go to criticism, I could see where you're going. If you're a pro, three thirty-five and thirteen twenty-one, they're not going to cut it. They're not even close to cutting it. So you're some Kenyan guy, you turn pro at 19, you're expected to perform right away. So it'll be interesting to see these next, well, this, this year would have been a big year, but next year will be a huge year for him. See what happens. Because if he's not on the Olympic team, then, you know, where does he go with his career? What happens? Or if he can step up. But to be competitive in the 5K, you need to be well under 13 these days. Well under. All right, guys, I want to talk, speaking of sort of, we just talked about college guys. I kind of want to talk about NCAA cross-country. There's not going to be an NCAA cross-country championships this fall. And I find it quite unlikely that there'll be one in the spring. People have said, oh, they might move some fall sports this spring. But I feel like the priority is going to be having indoor and outdoor track, considering those championships were canceled in 2020. So, I mean, I don't know. I kind of saw this coming. I know we spoke to Dave Smith last last week on the podcast, and that was a great interview if you want to give it a listen. He was kind of optimistic, but they hit this threshold of more than 50% of the schools have said they're not going to be having a season this fall, which elicited the championships being canceled. I'm just bummed. I was really looking forward to going down to Oklahoma State for this meet. I'd never been to Oklahoma, so that would be a state I could knock off my list. And this course, it sounds like they're poured... Robert, they're almost $25 million into developing this course, which sounds like it was going to be incredible. I'm very, I'm bummed that we're not going to be able to see. A it's a little misleading. They spent about $4 million, I think, on the course, and they said the land's worth about $20 million, So I guess, yeah. So, but yeah, let's hype it up. You know, we want to, we well, John, the good news is $25 million. The World Athletics country. people are listening to this podcast. They will be moving World XC from Australia to this course later for 2021. I mean, John's bond about going to Oklahoma. This year, I was going to go to Australia for the first time ever for World Cross Country. And if this damn thing gets postponed, this is upsetting. We could have World Cross Country in Oklahoma. You guys are listening. Or our host, is, they seem to have handled COVID pretty well. Maybe we could have it there next year. We need to have this stuff. But someone, I think one of us should follow up with Dave Smith and see what he's thinking. Because he was very intent on having a season, having his athletes compete, having a meet November 21st in Stillwater. So... Is that still going to be the case? Will they have a meet? Because I think by then the situation could be much better. COVID spread could be pretty minimal throughout the United States. And I think there would be a great opportunity in November to have a meet. So could you have an open meet, kind of like maybe like an unofficial national championships? What are the possibilities? What is Dave doing with his team? 
hell, maybe let's run hosted or something. He told us, he was very clear that his team is going to train throughout the whole fall and they are going to run a race on that course of 10,000 meters for the men, 6,000 for the women on November 21st. There may or may not be other schools, but his athletes will be racing. But do you lose course. eligibility? What happens there? No, they like, won't lose eligibility. No, they won't lose eligibility. Well, no, if there's a Big 12 season, though, if the Big 12 has their own season, I think they're all worried about that, that that, that would count as a season of eligibility if you run they're not the way count, through no, and run a Big 12 championship. Let's be honest. NCAA's not going to... No, so, Robert, the Big 12 and SEC, ACC, the Big Southern football conferences, they're going to have a season, it looks like. So if those athletes compete, do they lose a season? What my understanding right now is... They're, they're working it out so that if you compete in fewer than 50% of the meets, it doesn't count as a season of eligibility. So my expectation is if they have a season, you'd have these athletes run maybe one regular season meet, the conference championship, and that wouldn't count. This is insane, people. They're either going to give everybody an extra season or nobody an extra season. To me, they should not be giving people an extra season. If you haven't redshirted, you get to redshirt. If you have already redshirted, graduate and move on with your life. You know, we, we otherwise you're going to be impacting the, the high school people coming in the next year. There's going to be fewer scholarships, but this to me is disappointing because why? And what Weldon says, I'm hypocritical about COVID because I didn't come visit the family and stay in an indoor. You know, I wanted to address this from last week's podcast. Yes, I'm super cautious with my own family, but I'm not a 25. I'm not a 20 year old with no familial responsibilities. If I was a 20 year old, healthy athlete or professional athlete, 25, I would not be worried at COVID in the least because I would, and I would not go around my parents. I would not go around anyone older. I would go to class. I would kick ass in sports and I would stay in the dorm. And then before I went home, I would get tested, maybe quarantine myself when I go home for the holidays or Christmas. And, and that would be that. I'm, I have pulled up right now on my screen from the CDC. CDC hospitalization and death rate by age. Most of the deaths, does anyone have any idea? I don't even know the numbers, are over the age of 65. I, I, I think there was some stat in Florida, like more people over the age of 80 had died than under the age of 65. So way more deaths over 65 than anything else. If you're in between the ages of 18 to 29, the odds of you dying versus someone 65 or over, someone 65 or over has a 90 times higher death rate. That's 65 to 74. If you're over 75, you have a 220 times higher death rate. And if you're over 85, you have a 630 times death rate. This is the most amazing chart I've ever seen. Robert, who cares? You say this every week. We all know it affects old people way worse than it affects young people. I don't understand why you because keep bringing this up. the administrators, I get it. They don't want to be criticized, but it's like the Cornell study. They've The ones that have really done the research, some have said, hey, you might have less COVID because people are going to be tested on campus than less COVID spread than if they don't go back to school because they won't be tested if they're at home. So it's a very interesting thing. Who cares? I care because people are overreacting to this for the young people. I'm just saying it's a running podcast. You make this point every meet, every week. I just don't understand why you need to keep bringing this up. I know you really like this chart, but I, I'm kind of curious though. So NCAA cross country Oklahoma State does they're not hosting this fall. I assume the NCAA will give it to them in 2022, but they haven't announced the sites yet. I'm kind of curious though. There's they're going to be announcing the next round of sites this fall. Where do you guys want to see the meet held? Because ideally, we've got Florida State in 2021 that's already locked in. 
I'd like to see Oklahoma State in 2022. I want to go back to Madison because they did a terrific job hosting in 2023. And, you know, maybe you throw Terre Haute a bone. But do you guys have any sites? Like, I'd really like to go to West Coast. I want to see some course out, like maybe in Seattle or Oregon or something like that host. Like, do you guys have any desire to, re- like, one course you'd really like to see host NCAA cross? Not really. I think they should just move Oklahoma State to next year and then Florida State the year after that and just move everybody back here. Yeah, I mean, I, personally, I haven't been to Madison. I missed that one. It's like, what cities do I want to go to instead of who deserves it? I think Stillwater with this great course, they deserve it. So, But big picture, I just want to have a cross-country championships. I won an Olympics. I'm not getting picky anymore. Just, like, keep the shit going. Um, like, we, the NFL is going on, thankfully. There may be some college football in the South. And I think hopefully, and I'm an optimist about this, the situation will get better. I'm just not sure what happens once the flu season starts. But Dallas Cowboys, John, they're going to have fans in, in attendance. And I think that's the interesting one, right? Like, look, what, what follow the money, like what they always say. But pro football is like a lot of cities are like, yeah, we're having fans. And up to now, you really haven't had sporting events with fans. And I guess really the only option has been soccer. And it was in a bubble until recently. But the Dallas team... They had a few fans at their season opener. The Patriots aren't. They've already said through September they're not having any fans at home games. Speaking of cross-country courses, the Brooks Hansen's leader, Kevin Hansen, sent out a tweet last week saying, I need some help. Let's say you were given an open checkbook to create a permanent cross-country course. What would you want? This is not a hypothetical, but an actual situation. Pretty interesting. Could we be having a super cross-country course does it have to be made in Michigan, or can we just create it from scratch? Well, I'm guessing in Michigan. Actually, Michigan, I think they host their state meet for cross country at like the Michigan Speedway, which that can't be a good course. If you're a Michigan runner, I want you to email me or tweet at me or something, jgolt13 on Twitter. Is that a good course, or is it just like they have? It's a large open space. I can't imagine running a state meet at a speedway is better than having it sort of a purpose built cross country course. So anyway. If okay, but the, getting to the question at hand, what would you want to see on one of these courses? It needs a hill, like a big, serious hill that you run, preferably twice, but, but hopefully at least once, like Cemetery in Van Cortlandt Park. And then I think it needs some other sort of distinguishing feature, which is either like maybe some cool bridge or you know a, a cobblestone section. Well, maybe not cobblestones, probably not great, but like some maybe like a covered bridge or something like that. Some cool feature that sort of distinguishes it from everything else, and that's up to you to sort of like an alligator pit or something like that. Uh, no, but like a brook or like a brook you run through. I agree, you do need something. Even like Cemetery Hill sounds cool. It's all about the name. This is my theory. Any sort of cool hill, like Bear Cage Hill at Franklin Park, Cemetery and VCP. Half the reason they're iconic is because they have kick-ass names. So if you can Billy Mills Hill at Rimrock Farm in Kansas, great name. Like if you can come up with a great name for your hill, and then some other cool little feature, maybe some sharp turn or something like what do they have? That course Hereford course the Hereford course in Maryland has like the dip, or Holmdale has some sort of I forget what the Holmdale feature is, but they have something like Van Corten has the back hills. All these places they have iconic you need a feature that sort of becomes famous. Speaking of cross country, the cross country series I'm doing, there's two more races left this summer. I gotta go back out there. Tuesday nights, New Canaan, Connecticut people, clubct.org, look it up. Train ride from New York City. 
It's legal racing. It's allowed. You might see me there this next Tuesday or the Tuesday after. Maybe that 11-year-old can get revenge. Now. John, how can we never hear Weldon's time when he runs these races? Is it, are they not? I was curious about that. Yeah, I, I saw the, his recap and he barely... I was he like, didn't mention he his time, mention did he? The results and he, ba- he barely mentioned the results. I don't think he mentioned the time. John, they ran an off distance. I've never really raced with a GPS before. Everyone knows each GPS watches aren't that accurate. Chepka guy in the members only Zoom talks about how it's how it didn't say five k. It said like five point oh three or something or five point three something like that. So unless it's a certified course, there's no point to discuss times. I'm just, wow, guys, we just. We've got another world record this week. Weldon just set a world record, most excuses for n- failing to provide a time for his race. Okay, before we get out of here, I'm surprised when we were talking about the team phenoms, we didn't talk about, John, you're British, or at least half British. Is it rude to say you're half British? Would that be like saying you're like... No, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a dual citizen, I think. I'm, I identify as... Would that be like saying you're half white or something like that? I mean, that would probably be... If I said that someone's race is half white, they'd get, I'd get in trouble, right? Or if I said half and then... I- Different. I don't know what you would get in trouble for these days. Anyways, Max Bergen, the Brit, eighteen-year-old, ran one forty-four point seven five last week. Right? Isn't that is that a? I guess it's not an age eighteen world record because Nigel Amos was much faster at that age. But <laughs> one one forty-one, yeah, very impressive, right? Yeah, really good. I, I'm not. There was questions. I think about whether it would be ratified or not if they had the. I don't know if he took a drug test or not afterwards. But I mean, he ran the time. It was really phenomenal. And now, Robert, this weekend, Brazier versus Bergen. Budge, Bergen? I'm not sure. I think I'm going to say Bergen here. I don't know how you pronounce it. But in Stockholm. And we saw last year, Max Bergen, actually, he did run the Birmingham Diamond League. And it didn't go great for him. He he hadn't raced for two months. And then he goes out and he got 10th in 147. So, you know, and he was also 17 at the time time so i'm gonna give him cut him some slack on this but i'm i'm really excited i don't expect him to beat Brazier or even come close but this is a really good field he'll be against so i'm very excited to see what the 18 year old brit could do in that race this is a big meet i mean stockholm diamond league second diamond league in a week it's sunday but i think the women's 15 faith kibioga and laura muir helen o'berry it's pretty good yeah, and Ciara McGeehan, uh, Ireland's finest. Shannon Roberry, Laura Waitman, who just ran great in the 5K. That's a, that's a good one. And then you've got a rematch between Jakob Ingebrigtsen and Chariot in the 1500. Uh, you've also got the British champ, Neil Gawley. Matthew Ramsden, the young Aussie. The Aussies are very excited about him. He ran 335 last year. He just turned 23. He helped pace the world record by Joshua Cheptegei. Stuart McSwain still in there. Craig Engels. Kajelcha, a lot of talent in that 1500 too. For the 1500 sick. It's basically the Monica 1500, but hello, agents, Ollie Hoare, on athletics, Brooks, Josh Kerr. Can you not get into these races? Do you guys want to keep destroying everybody, the B teamers in America, by two to three seconds? Can you get on a plane? Get in here and see where you're at? I mean, you, you're acting like it's just easy to get from America to Sweden, though. Like, it's, it's tough and. He did just, I mean, I guess all these other guys raced last week too. It's, yeah, it'd be great to get Oli Hoare in there, but you, you, it's not super simple to get someone in there for. I'm interested to see what Raven Rogers does in the women's eight. She looked terrible in that thousand last week. But as I've said on the video show, as bad as she ran, I think she was next to last or last. It's still equivalent to like a 201, and she's not really a thousand meter runner. So, but, you know, this is her first year under 
Pete Julian, normally you join join the NOP or the fake NOP and you run faster, but it hasn't happened for her yet. What do you call it, John? What's your nickname for it? Zombie NOP is my and preferred what's name. The, who's in the women's eight? Raven Rogers, actually Halima Nakai, so the world champion. Gemma Riki's in there. Jessica Hull dropping down all the way down from a 5K to an 800. So gold and silver in the 800 squaring off in Stockholm as well. Like this is a great meet. So with the world half in the fall, we may have a little something to keep talking about. This is going to be great. And does that lead us to our viewer tipping us off, which we just keep the secret until they cancel it because I was holding out hope for the Peachtree Road Race. I think the situation will be much better come November, but they already decided what? How many months out? Three months out? Canceled today. So there is one major marathon still scheduled in the United States that has not been canceled. That gets, I think, 20,000 people in it. Should we reveal what it is? I'm a winner, former winner of this race. Well, then, you're using the word major very, very loosely here. We already have World Marathon majors. This race certainly is not a month. John, when Weldon won this race, he was uh, I, I was flying home from helping support him and being instrumental in his victory. And I was at the airport, and well, I don't want to say the city because it will reveal the name of the race, and Weldon was on CNN. They used to have the ticker before the internet came out, and you had instant results. Every th- every 30 minutes, they had the sports, and they had Weldon Johnson. They're like, a man had never run a marathon. And yet he entered this one and won it. It was kind of like the Molly Seidel story, basically, 20 years ago. Weldon Johnson, the former winner of the Marine Corps Marathon in D.C. The Marine Corps Marathon apparently is still on. October 25th, according to Rita, Daniel Black reached out. He said, to his knowledge, it's still on. I, I went on the website. They're still advertising that it's on. They haven't said anything about it. John, if you're the biggest so. race in America going on, you're a major marathon. Wow, this could be huge for me. I might get speaking engagements and stuff. Like, I'll become a major marathon winner, yeah. past champion. Wait, well, then, when was, which year did you win it? 1998 in my head. Uh, I, was, I was hoping it would be like the 20-year anniversary so they could bring you out. Like, fate. look at Weldon Johnson. Look what he's gone on to do now. Yeah, he runs a successful podcast and website and all this stuff. Oh, and then one other, one other thing I want to touch on. Robert, the Dartmouth track and field cross-country job is still open. Have you been... I've heard that there's some pressure at home. Your wife has encouraged you to apply. Have you sent in your application? Unfortunately, I have not. My wife keeps at, I think she's serious. Like she keeps saying, I've looked at houses and I, I probably should have applied because they're probably like narrowed, I, I, probably pretty far along in the, the hiring process. But I thought it would not be good for my young child. But she's like, well, no, I could take a step back and then you would have to work all the time. So I'm wondering if my wife's trying to get me out of the, you know, <laughs> thinks I'm a bad influence for the child. I'll be, I'll, I'll be, because last night I was like, I would not be able to help the child right now. I'd be on recruiting calls. She's like, I know. I, I would be helping with the child. So instead of her working, I'd be working all the time. Well, Hanover's beautiful, Robert. And it would give you a chance to finally win that Heps cross-country title and send a team to Nationals, which you could never do during your decade at Cornell. So you got a shot of redemption. It's pretty easy to win in cross-country when you're putting all your resources in cross-country. Not easy, but, you know, I mean. I I, I just want bold proclamations like, I'll resign this position in five years if I don't send a team to NCAA. If I don't finish in the top – wait – wasn't your thing, I'll resign if I don't finish yes. the top 10 and Correct. NCAAs? That was my thing. It's changed. The system's gotten a lot harder, John. You used to be able to run like terrible times and make NCAAs, like 342. Now you have to run like 338. So 
just much, much harder. No, but I, I, I probably should reach out to Barry. Although I've heard there's another big distance job coming up open soon. Not going to say where because we've promised our source. John looked at me. Robert loves to say things we're not allowed to talk about. So, Before we go, rate and review us. And remember, you can join the Let'sRun.com Supporters Club, VIP, Running Club. Eventually, I think this thing will probably be branded, branded the Running Club. But I saved 50 bucks on the first two pairs of running shoes I bought. So that pays for itself. Hell, sign up for one month for a dollar and cancel right away. You still get the month and you take advantage of the discounts just to check it out. But rate and review us on iTunes. And the week, every week, if we t- mention Donald Trump, either for or against or anything positive or negative, we, we get smashed in the iTunes reviews. But we needed to go off with a deleted thread of the week. Here it is. Could Donald Trump finish a mile without walking? Dot, dot, dot. Time? Question mark. Now, this thread is perfectly legitimate and will be restored. Any thoughts? Donald Trump's mile time. First of all, could he finish it without walking? I, I don't have confidence that he could. He I think what would happen is he would he would finish it with, well, after walking on like the third lap and then he'd claim that he never walked. That's my prediction of what would happen. Speaking happened. of Donald Trump, on this very podcast, I think probably about two months ago, didn't I share my brilliant business idea for the virtual race? Yeah. Like, and like all of your brilliant business ideas. It's like my book, yes. Follow. I have trouble following through. It's like the Dartmouth job. How am I going to get hired if I don't hire, if I don't apply? How am I going to start my virtual race? They're going to pound down your door. They're going to be like, Robert, we need you. What is it going to take? I actually reached out last week to a company to – I was going to do a a virtual race, still may, the run against Trump. And I was also going to do run against Biden because I want to piss off the viewers. So we do both. The Robert, let me help you the marketing. This is how this will get done. It will be called the run for democracy. People being passionate for and against candidates, that's the history of America. We need to celebrate the voting process, encourage people to vote for whatever reason. All I know is – People on both sides of the aisle are very unhappy, and they hate the other side. So that's what I was going to make my virtual race about. And I reached out to a time company that could do this, and I told him an idea, and he's like, nope, no chance. I said, why? He's like, I don't want to be involved in politics. So many people are upset. I'm afraid they'll quit my, my quit, not, not use me. So it's, it's crazy. Like People are just very angry, and any politics talk is going to anger somebody. So that's why I was trying to anger both sides equally. But even that's not – apparently it's too controversial for some. So if you're a computer programmer and you want to devise the system for me, email me, robert at letsrun.com. Robert at Let's Run. I'll pay you big bucks. Or call me, 844-LET'S-RUN, 844-538-7786. And if you sign up for letsrun.com slash subscribe, remember to email me, VIP at Let's Run, VIP at Let's Run.com. Put your shirt size and your address, and we will send you the free shirt when we eventually get them. This is still a few weeks away. And, but you'll get immediate access to the Joshua Cheptegei interview that we just did, which is an amazing interview, really worth watching. And our Monaco post-meet show, that all that sort of stuff. You'll I guess we got to do a Stockholm meet show, right? Or this weekend? Uh, let's see if it merits it. Robert, it runs up. Stockholm After Stockholm is the Champions League final. Your Paris Saint-Germain has qualified. So it's the same Oh, my bet. God. Now I know why John doesn't want to do a Stockholm live show. Champions League. But yeah, big sports fans, it's like it's like going up against the Super Bowl. So subscribers will let you know in the forum what's going on.
Stockholm finishes, I think it finishes at like 1 p.m. Eastern and the Champions League final is into 3 p.m. Eastern, but I need time to write that recap. So maybe you guys do the live show and I'm writing our recap and we're all good by 3 p.m. Thanks.